2 Kings chapter 5. We're going to learn a few lessons from the life of a guy named Naaman. And Naaman was a uh, pretty interesting character in the Old Testament. He was the commander of the army of Israel's enemy, which was the Aramites in the kingdom of Aram. Now, Naaman had a, a certain condition. It was leprosy. And he wanted, obviously, to be rid of this leprosy. It caused him problems. It caused problems between him and his wife. It caused problems in his family. It caused problems in his leadership of the army. And he wanted to get rid of it. Well, we're introduced to another character in the story, really a hero, in 2 Kings chapter 5. We don't know what her name is, but it's an uh, Israelite slave girl. She's the servant, the maidservant, of Naaman's wife. And she heard about the problem, and she took a very unusual step. This unnamed slave girl spoke up, and she told her mistress that she knew of a prophet in Israel that may be able to provide healing for Naaman. And so uh, she appealed, she suggested to Naaman that he appeal to Israel's prophet Elisha. And so Naaman, what did he do? He went to his own king, his own boss, the uh, the king of Aram, and he asked permission, can I go to our enemy so I can seek healing for my leprosy? And the king decided it was going to be an okay idea, so the king sent with Naaman a small fortune to the king of Israel, along with a letter, a request, that Naaman be allowed to go visit the prophet Elisha. And so the, the small fortune comes to the presence of the king of Israel, and he's upset. He's agitated. He's scared, even. Why? Because he thinks, and he knows that only God can give life, only God can heal, especially something like leprosy, and he's worried about what will happen if Naaman's not healed. He thinks this is all a big setup that the king of Aram is setting up a battle between the two nations. He thinks that the king of Aram is picking a fight because the king of Israel really doesn't think that Naaman's going to get healed. And so even though he's upset, he allows it because Elisha hears that the king is upset, that the king has torn his, his robe. He's so upset as a sign of visible mourning and, and uh, irritability. And Elisha appeals to the king, and he said, let him come. And so the king allows Naaman to make his way to Elisha's house. And he, he, is, uh, he approaches Elisha's house, and there he is with his chariots, with his mules, with his small group of uh, uh, apparently marauding warriors, who could do whatever they wished. And they stand outside Elisha's house. Naaman wishes to see Elisha. And Elisha does not come out of the house. Instead, Elisha sends his servant. And so Elisha's servant walks out into this big miniature army and pack of uh, caravanning people. And he gives Naaman some instructions. Here's what the prophet says to do. Go to the Jordan River and wash in the Jordan River seven times. Naaman is 
furious. After all of that, after taking advice from his wife's servant, going to his own king, and humbling himself before the king, and the king humbling himself before the king of Israel, and traveling all this way, the advice, really, is to go take a bath. And so he's quite upset about it. He storms off. And Naaman's servant says, Master, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, some complicated thing, wouldn't you do it? He said, yeah. And so even though he thinks that the waters of the rivers of Aram are just as good as the rivers of Israel, he acquiesces. He goes down to the river Jordan, takes a bath, wipes himself down, takes another bath seven times. And the seventh time he comes up out of the water, he's completely healed. And so Naaman goes back to Elisha's house, and in 2 Kings chapter 5, beginning in verse 15, here's what we read. When he, thus Naaman, returned to the man of God with all his company, he came and stood before him. Now, So this time Elisha comes out. And Naaman said, Behold now, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So please, take a present from your servant now. Naaman wants to make things square. He wants to make things equitable. Nobody owes anybody after I pay you off. I'm very grateful, but I want to make things square. Verse 16, but Elisha said, as the Lord lives, behold whom I stand, I will take nothing. And Naaman urged him to take it, but he refused. So in verse 17, Naaman says, if not, please let two things happen. Number one is, please let your servant at least be given two mules load of earth. For your servant will no longer offer burnt offerings, nor will he sacrifice to other gods, but to the Lord. So request number one is, Naaman's understanding is this, and it's a faulty understanding, but he understands the only God of the earth lives here in Israel, so I want to take some of Israel's soil with me. So when I bow down and I worship, I'll be worshiping in Israel. I'll be worshiping Israel's God. So let me have two mule loads of soil. And, it's, and you might say, well, that's strange. Well, you know, if you're a native Texan and you happen to be out of state when your child is born, you want to take some earth from Texas so you can say your child is born over Texas soil, right? And so uh, natural, natural for Naaman to want to do this. That's sort of what his understanding is. And so that's request number one. Let me take some of Israel's land with me. Request number two, verse 18. In this matter, may your Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the house of Rimmon to worship there, and he leans on my hand, and I bow myself in the house of Rimmon, when I bow myself in the house of Rimmon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. What's, what's he saying? Naaman's saying, I've got a boss, he's the king, and he worships another god, a god that I don't want to worship anymore. And he's going to make me come with him to the temple, and he's going to take my hand, and we're going to have to bow down before this other God. 
I'm asking for preemptive forgiveness for when I have to do this. But in my heart, you know that I worship the Lord and only the Lord. And so he's asking forgiveness before the thing happens. What does Elisha say? Elisha doesn't grant him forgiveness, nor does he condemn him. Elisha simply says in verse 19, Go in peace. So he, Naaman, departed from him some distance. And so here you have Naaman, who is greatly blessed by the Lord, and he comes to a point of gratitude, for he expresses his thanks in every way that he knows how. Sometimes we might even look back and say his theology was wrong, and some of the things he did may, may not have been exactly perfect, but uh, we would look at his heart, and his heart was truly thankful. He was grateful. And by the way, it's an interesting concept that the Lord blesses, and then whom the Lord blesses, he reveals himself to them. In other words, perhaps as, as Christians today, our strategy should not be, hey, you need to come to know Jesus, and then he'll bless you. Perhaps it's reverse. Maybe we need to be a blessing to people, and then they'll come to know Jesus. But nevertheless, here's Naaman, and he is greatly blessed by the Lord, something that only God can do, and he's grateful. There's another character in the story. And we keep reading in verse 20. But Gehazi, who in the world is Gehazi? He's the servant of Elisha. He's the servant of Elisha, the man of God. He thought, behold, my master has spared this name in the Aramean by not receiving from his hands what he brought. As the Lord lives, I will run after him and take something from him. So Gehazi pursued Naaman. When Naaman saw one running after him, he came down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And Gehazi said, All is well. My master, that's Elisha, he, he lies. He says, My master sent me, saying, Behold, just now two young men of the sons of the prophets have come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of clothes. And Naaman said, Be pleased to take two talents. And Naaman urged him and bound two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of clothes and gave them to two of his servants and they carried them before him. So you have a contrast here. You have an outsider to the people of God, Naaman, who doesn't know the Lord. He's blessed by the Lord. And he is grateful. Then you have an insider. Then you have someone who presumably is part of God's people. At least he serves God's people. He's the servant of Elisha. He should know better. And he doesn't have gratitude for what God has done. He has greed in his heart. He has greed in his heart. And so... We might find ourselves today surrounded by God's blessings. That doesn't mean that we might not also have to deal with the greed that's in our hearts. Today I want to talk about walking that level path of victory and obedience that we've uh, been uh, talking about. The path where we have friends on the path who keep us on the straight and narrow. The path of God's blessing. The path that is next to a stream of water. The path where we will not stumble. And if you want to walk that path, if you want to live that kind of life, one of the characteristics of your life needs to be one of expressing thanks. Expressing 
thanks. So we're going to talk about that a little bit today. You see, expressing thanks is an essential element in the level path of victory and obedience that God has prepared for you to walk. In Ephesians chapter 5, if you want to turn to that passage in your Bible, it will also be on the screen behind me. In Ephesians chapter 5, we read these words. But immorality, or any impurity, or greed, these three things, immorality, impurity, and greed, these three things, must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness or in silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather the giving of thanks. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3, Paul lists three things that should not be a part of our lives. The first one is immorality. This is talking about sexual immorality. It includes adultery. It includes uh, premarital sex if you're not married. It includes any type of uh, viewing of pornography. Uh, these kinds of things, there shouldn't even be a hint of it in your life. There shouldn't be any doubt that these things are not a part of your experience. And so if they are, they should not be. And so he said, those things must not even be named among you. So things that are sexually immoral should not be named. Secondly, he lists impurity. What's impurity? This is the idea of starting down that path that leads to sexual immorality. It, it means starting to even play around with the idea. Start to consider it. Paul says, don't even go there. You know, some people, they, they like to push the limits. You know, teenagers ask, how far can I go on a date without it being too far? With the understanding that whatever that limit is, I'm going to push the envelope. I'm going to get right up there to that limit, whatever that limit is. You know, uh, adults say, oh, you know, yeah, yeah, I'm married, but what's the deal? big deal with a little flirting? Yeah, it's just flirting. It's not really something serious. It's just a little bit of flirting, people say. People say, well, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's just an emotional affair. Nothing physical has happened, so it's okay. Paul says those things are impure. When you start going down that path, it leads to something far worse. It leads to actual immorality. And Paul says, don't even go down that path. Don't go there. You know, it says something about your heart. If you're the type of person who tries to get as close to the line as possible without crossing over. Paul says there's something wrong with your heart. But it says something very different about your heart. If on the other hand, you decide you're going to cultivate a love for purity. I want my heart to be pure. If that's your attitude, that says something very, very different. And so God forbids immorality... That's an obvious one. God forbids any kind of impurity, even playing around or toying or going down that path or considering it even. And the third thing that Paul forget, uh, forbids, God forbids really, is greed. In Ephesians chapter 5, the third thing listed is greed. Now, when you and I think of greed, what do we think of? Money, right? Those greedy, wealthy people, those nasty people that are always looking for money. But greed has much more to do than simply money. Greed is not always just about money. Greed has to do with covetousness, sinful desires. 
It has to do with any kind of evil lusts, if you want to use that word. And so you can be greedy for money. You can be greedy for sex. You can be greedy for power. People can be greedy for many different lures that can lead us astray. And so here's the point that God is making in these verses. Not only should you avoid the outward sin, but you should avoid having a heart that is greedy and one that desires the outward sin. So God's basically saying avoid immorality, avoid those immoral actions, avoid immoral speech, avoid immoral thoughts that push you to immorality, and on top of that, don't even have a heart that has immoral desires. Okay? So question of the day. How do you do that? I mean, do you just sort of say, okay, God, I I made up my mind. I'm not going to desire whatever my heart desires. Is that what you do? Because honestly, if your heart desires it, how do you undesire it? Do you just sort of make up your mind not to? Is that the trick? And your heart follows whatever your your thought process at 11 a.m. on Sunday morning once it to be is that what happens well no god does forbid all of these things but please notice that there's something that god commends christianity is not just a rule book that says don't do this don't do that don't do the other it's not just that but christianity includes what to do instead and there's something that god says that we should do instead of the others and here's what it is if you want to get back on the level path of victory and obedience you need to replace greed whatever you're greedy for in your heart with expressing thanks that is how you change your life you can't just be greedy you can't just decide all right i'm going to have a void of desire in my heart Your heart will always desire something. But what you have to do is express thanks. So let's explore this for a minute. There's something about expressing thanks that has the power to to destroy greed that grips your heart. Think about the nature of greed. Greed wants what it does not have. It always wants what it does not have. And what do we not have? We either don't have something at all and we want it, or we don't have enough of something and we want more. And so greed always wants something it doesn't have. Greed makes you want a good thing too much. For example, you need money to provide for your family. That's good. That's fine. But if your desire for money... And the desire for more money, because you're not content with what you have, leads you to cheat on your taxes. It leads you to lie to your employer. It leads you to steal. It leads you to immorality. Then there's something wrong. And so greed can make you want a good thing too much, but greed can also pervert your desires to want something that that's in the wrong way for example sexual desire sexual desire is not bad god created it 
However, it becomes sinful when you desire someone other than your spouse. And so greed in your heart causes you to want more money. It causes you to want uh, sex in an arena of life that is outside of God's parameters. It, it causes you to uh, exceed the limits of power that God has given you. And so it always causes you to want more and causes you to want the things that you don't have. But think about the nature of expressing thanks. When you express thanks, it means you're glad for what you do have. And it means you're content with what you do have. A heart that expresses thanks and a life that expresses thanks stops searching for everything it doesn't have. It appreciates what it does have. And it comes down to really one of two choices. You can be discontent with what you have, and this will lead you to be greedy for the things that you don't have. Or you can focus on the things that you have and express thanks for it. This is not just a, a theoretical concept. It's not just a theological concept. This is a practical way to engage in spiritual warfare in your own life. You know, very few wars are won by the winning army sitting back and just defending all the time. At some point... The army has to attack. And expressing thanks is a means by which you attack the evil desire of greed in your heart. If you want to go to war against the evil desires that cause you to fall into the same pattern of sin over and over and over again, begin to express thanks for what you have. And I'm not just saying have a grateful heart. I'm not just saying have a grateful heart. I'm saying express thanks. Because if I just say have a grateful heart, every last one of us will leave this place and say, oh, I've got a grateful heart. The proof is in the pudding. When you decide to say it with your words, with your mouth, then it becomes a real expression of what's in your heart. You have to say it. You can say it to God, but you have to say it. You can say it to the person you're thankful for. You can say it to someone else. You know, I'm, I'm so thankful for my kids. You could say that to someone else. I'm so thankful for this or that or the other in my life. I'm so, I'm so thankful for God. You can say it to God. You can say it to anyone. But you have to say it. It is expressing thanks that is the power that can eliminate greed. And I would say this, only believers who express thanks, can walk on the level path of victory and obedience. But sin is only committed by thankless people. In other words, if you truly had gratitude in your heart, you wouldn't sin. You wouldn't sin. But we lose the gratitude for what God has given us. We forget what God has given us. And so we slip into patterns of wanting what we don't have. We become greedy in whatever way for the things that we do not have. You know what sin really is? Sin is the trading, it's the exchange of gratitude for greed. You know, God has given you so much, and by not expressing thanks, you start pursuing the things that you will likely never have. And then you find that person who 
eventually gets what they have been so greedy for, and they're not satisfied. They're not even satisfied. In the book, Finally Free, its author describes some of the things that God has given us that we so quickly forget. He says, you have a wonderful and precious life that is given from God himself. He's given things to you that, you, that he has given no other person. When was the last time you said, thank you, God, for how uniquely you've made me? You know what we normally do? We complain. Oh, I don't like the way I look. No, I don't like this part of my life. I don't like, you know, this personality aspect of my life. I don't like this. and I don't like. We complain about how uniquely God has made us instead of giving God thanks for it. There's nobody, there's 7 billion people on the earth. There's nobody in the world that is just like you. We ought to be thankful for who we are, who God has made us. How God has made you is something that's yours. It's something that yours, it is yours alone. Not only that, God has given you precious friends. He's given you family. He's given you all kinds of relationships. And he's given you this to manage, to steward. I mean, all of us know people who care about us. Think about your friends. Think about your parents, your children, maybe your cousins, maybe spiritual leaders. You know, every last one of us is in some kind of relationship with many other people. God has given all of this to you, a whole army of people that care about you. Think about the peop these people for just a moment. Be grateful for them. Perhaps you had wonderful parents who loved you and cared for you well. Maybe they weren't perfect, but, man, they, they put food on the table, and you're, li you're alive today because of what they did for you. Maybe they were the best parents in the world. Maybe they served you in every way that they can. Maybe you've got kids or grandkids who, whose joy and energy uh, fills your life with happiness. Uh, I, I bet you've got a, a best friend that you love to laugh with, someone who's there through the thick and the thin. You know, these relationships are something that we should express thanks for. Do you have a spouse? I mean, if so, the Lord's given you your spouse for you to love and cherish. Think about your spouse for a moment. Be grateful for your spouse. Consider how your spouse laughs. Consider how your spouse reacts. Think, think about all the things that people admire about your spouse. Things that people say. Good things about your spouse. Now think back to the day that you were married. Contemplate those moments that you've shared with your spouse with no other person. I mean, even if your marriage has difficulties, God's given you your spouse as a gift. Think about your ministry. What has God called you to do? What has God uh, put in your life? God's given all of his people certain gifts and talents to use in service, whether your ministry is a paid position like mine or whether it's unpaid. God knows. God cares. God's created you for that. What gifts, what responsibilities has God given you to steward and to manage? Think of it about this for a moment and be grateful. When was the last time you thanked God 
for the opportunity that he's given you to serve him. I remember my pastor many years ago saying, we all know that we're saved by grace. He said, but we forget we also serve by God's grace. It is by the grace of God that he allows us to serve him. When was the last time you thanked him for the people in your sphere of influence who appreciate the way you minister to them? Or you thank God for those in your ministry who have challenged you, who have corrected you? You know, and every last one of us in this room who have a saving relationship with Christ, isn't that what we should be most thankful for? That God has saved us? When was the last time you thought about the great love of our Heavenly Father who created you, who redeemed you? Your salvation is an incalculable gift from heaven, given to you by God Himself. It was purchased by the most incredible and valuable love of Christ, by His blood. All of us have been made and saved by God if we are in Christ. We've received forgiveness for our sins. We've received so much, infinitely more, because of what Jesus has done for us. We receive Christ's own power to become like Him. Do we deserve that? Do we deserve in any respect the awesome opportunity to one day say that we are like Christ? We don't deserve that. But Scripture teaches us that one day we're going to be glorified and we will be just as He is. We're we're beginning to look more and more like Christ as we pursue Him. We have the amazing privilege of being called his servants. Jesus calls us his friends. His friends. God says we are his children. Adopted into his family. What an incredible, precious gift God has given us. Have you considered lately that the the saving love of God led to the death of Christ? so that you could be forgiven and in an amazing display of His love, be called the sons and daughters of God. We have so much to be thankful for. But you know what happens? We don't expend the simple energy of saying thank you. And every day that goes by that we don't say Thank you. Thank you, God. Every day that goes by, we open up the door of our heart to Satan's influences and the influences of greed. And the greed can cause us to look at the same circumstances of life that we find ourselves in. And instead of saying thank you, we say, it's not enough. I want more. I deserve better. I'm greedy for something more. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, this is a passage, a little verse of Scripture that just seems so strange on the surface. It says, In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. 
What do you mean in everything give thanks? I'm having a bad day. I don't want to give thanks. I want to pout. I want to be upset. I wasn't treated right at work. My teacher gave me the stink eye. I don't like the people that I'm around. What do you mean in everything give thanks? God says in everything give thanks. Even if you're having a bad day. It's not that bad of a life that you have. Even if you're having problems at school. You do have a school. It may be imperfect. But there are many children who don't have a school. Even if things aren't going your way today. God says give thanks. It's not about what has happened to you in the most recent memory. It's about what God is doing in your life that's beneath the surface. And in that, you can always give thanks. So today, what kind of person are you going to be? You go back and you look at Naaman's healing. We've got a picture of two types of people. You've got Naaman, who was grateful because God touched his life one time. And you have Gehazi, who apparently God had touched his life many times. He was there with the prophet of Israel. And yet he had a greedy, greedy heart. I wonder what happened to these two. In 2 Kings chapter, four, or chapter 5, verse 24, the story continues. And when he came to the hill, and that's talking about Gehazi. When Gehazi came to the hill, he took them from their hand. He took the, the gifts of money and the clothing from the hands of the servants, and he deposited them in the house, and he sent them in away, and they departed. But he went in and stood before his master. And Elisha said to him, Where have you been, Gehazi? And he said, Your servant went nowhere. Then he said to him, Did not my heart go with you when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Is it a time to receive money and to receive clothes and olive groves and vineyards and sheep and oxen, oxen and male and female servants? Elisha knew. And this is what happened to Gehazi. Verse 27. Therefore the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and to your descendants forever. So he went out from his presence a leper as white as snow. Naaman, who was grateful, discovered a lesson. Gratitude for God's blessing brings freedom and blessings. Gehazi discovered another lesson. Being greedy binds us in slavery and curses. Here's the reality. Because of the nature that you inherited from Adam, 
you already have greed in your heart. The question is, will you express thanks that will subdue the greed, it will bring God's blessings, and bring freedom to your life?